0: Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast, along with Matt Eddy. I'm John Manuel, live from the metropolitan area of Indiana, Indianapolis. Uh, and we're in the Hyatt Hotel, and I think we're the last ones here, Matt. We're we're shutting it down at the winter meetings in Indianapolis. My uh, I don't know how many winter meetings I've been to now. It's six or seven. And this is Matt Eddy's debut appearance at the winter meetings. So, Matt, for our readers, our listeners here on the Baseball America podcast, what would you give them an impression of what it's like uh, going to a winter meetings uh, from your first time uh, first time long time
1: Well it's true what they say and that you can see every possible baseball dignitary and personality hanging out in the hotel lobby that that is a fact, uh, and also many many um, to see of black and blue suits people yeah. looking for jobs uh, those are the two two of my uh, main impressions um, uh, you know and you find that a lot of the the personalities are Accessible, You know, you can, um, in most cases, approach people. I mean, I guess it helps if you're wearing a little media badge. but <laughs> It doesn't hurt. <laughs> but um, is, there, is there anything new under the sun for you, having been to a dozen of these?
0: You know, I think what's changed is uh, the job seekers on the baseball side. You know, the first couple I went to, all the job seekers were, um, you know, minor league job seekers. The major league job seekers are just, a, you know, in the information age... And in the last ten years, every club has a statistical analysis guy. teams have video interns now they have interns who enter data. That part has exploded, and you see a lot more of those kind of guys at the winter meetings than you used to you know i don't I didn't used to meet guys from Harvard at the winter meetings who were trying to get into baseball. It happens every year now, and that didn't happen. The first one I went to I guess was in Nashville like in two thousand or two thousand one so that's definitely been the change. The job seekers on the major league side—it's not always retired players. Like, hey, there's Michael Tucker. And yeah. That's kind of neat. I don't <laughs> know exactly what Michael Tucker's doing. I think he already has a job. But uh, you know, you used to always see like some ex-players, and they're like, oh yeah, I'm just trying to you know, get a job with a front office club. Now that people are trying to get jobs in the front offices are more likely, you know, kids with acne issues or trying to get uh, statistical analysis jobs, or or trying to do <clears throat> trying to do video analysis, or those kind of internships. You see a lot more of those guys. And some without acne, actually. Acne is not a prerequisite. The point is they're very young. So um that's that's been the biggest change that I've seen. And uh one other part about I guess about it is just the explosion of media and the different kinds of media. And you know, uh the first couple winter meetings there would be a radio thing there, but now there's Sirius XM and then you have S N Y had a booth here, MLB network, all the other T V things that have exploded out of it. So the media has definitely evolved over the last 10 years. Last winter meetings in Vegas was a very depressing time for media. That's when a lot of newspapers were laying a lot of people off. Some of them were shutting down. Uh, you know, uh, and this year it seems like the transition has happened more to the online, so into uh, online media. So, you know, from that standpoint, it was a little bit different. But uh, let's uh, let's go from the beyond those minutia a little bit, Matt, to the big deals that happened this week. A uh, couple trades, a couple small ones, a couple big ones. The big one that got a lot of attention. Let's touch on that one. Uh, the three-team deal with Detroit, Arizona, and the Yankees, uh, where you had Austin Jackson is the big prospect who's involved here. Uh, let's talk about the major league particular a little bit, Matt. And I think uh, the, the if you like this trade for Arizona at all, I guess we're trying. That's the consensus is banging on Arizona. It would seem to be that. Uh, Arizona's standpoint would be we traded two guys that we think are going to be relievers, Daniel Schlereth and, Mark, and Max Scherzer, for two guys who are starters in Edwin Jackson and Ian Kennedy. Do you think, do you think there's validity to that point of view from the Diamondbacks?
1: Well, um, maybe not. Um, it's questionable also taking Edwin Jackson away from the one environment where he's had Success. Where he's actually had a good season. I agree. Because there were points in Tampa, and, and I think I think you and I would agree that a lot of that is probably due to uh, Rick Knapp, his pitching coach in Detroit. We're, we're Rick Knapp fans, sure. You know, so he goes from a situation of being a hard thrower, you know, without a lot of feel with the Dodgers, to the Rays and having some flashes, you know, pitching well in the bullpen in the playoffs, right. for example, with he the Rays. He threw well in the
0: first half in 2008 and then kind of fell apart in the second.
1: But then he goes on, he, has, he strikes out 170 guys, you know, his walks are under control by his standards. Um, And then you remove him from that scenario and put him in a very, very hitter-friendly park. Good point. You know, uh, and Kennedy pitched, what, 20 innings last year because he had a a serious medical injury, you know, a burst artery in in his shoulder.
0: He's a real wild card. There's no doubt. I mean, he's a wild card where the upside is limited. I mean, I, I saw him good, to use the scout term, in September. I saw him good. But the guy was like, you know, good for, really good for Ian Kennedy. And that's about the fourth or fifth time I've seen him was painting the corners at 90 miles an hour. He was pitching aggressively with his fastball. Honestly, what he reminded me of was Jeremy Hellickson with less, less fastball and better breaking ball. Um, I'd still rather have Jeremy Hellickson. But that will tell you, that's how good Ian Kennedy looked to me. I'd seen, we're lucky in Durham, we get to see a lot of talent uh, at World Baseball America headquarters. But uh, that's who Ian Kennedy reminded me of in that it was a three-inning rehab stint for Scranton, and he pitched inside at 90 miles an hour with as much aggression and precision as Jeremy Hellickson had shown me all year for the Durham Bulls. So that's kind of who he reminded me of. He's going to have to pitch to that level to really make that trade a winner for Arizona in my mind. The Yankees get the best player in the deal, in my opinion, and Curtis Granderson, platoon splits or not, um, I think he's a valuable piece and a – a really smart acquisition by the Yankees. What about Detroit? Uh, they basically they trade two important pieces, two good pieces, and Curtis Granderson and Edwin Jackson. They give four pieces back. What's the most important part of that package in your mind, Matt? Is it Austin Jackson or is it maybe uh, Max Scherzer?
1: Uh, that's close. I, I probably would lean toward Jackson because Granderson was such an important part of that team. Mm-hmm. Whereas they have they still have Verlander and they still have Porcello. Um, but but Granderson just such an effusive personality, such a you know face of the franchise kind of guy. Uh, so right. I think if, uh, the most pressure is on Jackson to perform. Um, and you cover the Yankees, so um, how optimistic should Tigers fans be? I,
0: I think they they should have guarded optimism. I, you know, Curtis Granderson had high strikeout rates in the minor leagues that actually made me back off of him as a prospect. Uh, I think that Austin Jackson's a comparable athlete for sure. Maybe, a, maybe a, you know, I haven't actually ta- ever talked to anyone about Curtis Granderson's athleticism. I know he got basically faster and was a better athlete lo- later in the minors than he was when he got in. Maybe it was a strength program or or whatever, but uh, he wasn't considered a guy who was going to be a base dealer and a center fielder when he was first drafted, and then he got better the closer he got to the big leagues. Um, I think Austin Jackson already has that athleticism. Uh, the, com- the comparison doesn't exactly translate because it's right-hand hitter versus left. Uh, the big thing, the, the chasm between the two players is he, he does not have Curtis Granderson's power. Granderson just hit 30 home runs last year. Yeah. I think it would take two to three years for uh, uh, you know, for Austin Jackson to hit 30 home runs, period. So, uh, well, How
1: does he compare with our rookie of the year, Andrew McCutcheon, for example?
0: I think he's doesn't, not quite the athlete or the fast-twitch guy and the bat speed guy that Andrew McCutcheon is. The thing with Austin Jackson is he has hit about 290, 292 or so in his career in the minor leagues. And he's an efficient base stealer. He was 24 for 28 this year. His base stealing has been fairly consistent in the minor leagues. I think he's going to be a bomb of the order hitter. If he was asked to be in the big leagues next year for Detroit, and it looks like he might be, I think he'll play a very solid center field. I think he'll be a better defender uh, than people give him credit for. I think he's a playmaker defensively. He makes big throws. He makes big catches. I think he will have that knack and that flair like Curtis Granderson will have. I think that you know there's no doubt that uh, there's a loss of offense. For Detroit in that uh, in that in that move, to me he's he and Scherzer really do hold the keys. Phil Coke is what he is. He's a lefty reliever, kind of a left on left guy. Dan Schlereth has a chance to be more than that. Coke, Schlereth, Ryan Perry, you know some interesting arms. Where's Jason Stoffel? You'll have your 2008 Arizona bullpen, uh, and I mean Arizona Wildcats, not Arizona Diamondbacks. So you can go to a super regional. That's a great uh, job by a uh, great job by Detroit there to get all those uh, Arizona Wildcats relievers and get the band back together. But uh, I, I think the other, to me, the, as much as I like Austin Jackson and I do, I think really Max Scherzer, and you mentioned Rick Knapp, I think it's incumbent on Rick Knapp to get Max Scherzer to smooth it out and to be a starter and, to, and whether he can help Max Scherzer be a durable starter and to really take that number three spot that uh, you know, that Austin, Edwin Jackson occupied. I don't, know if, I don't know if he'll be a two like Edwin Jackson was, but I think Rick Porcello will be better in 2010 than he was even in 2009. So
1: That's a great point. I mean, the fact that the Tigers went ahead and made this trade for these pitchers probably signifies that Rick Knapp has vouched for these two pitchers.
0: I, I think in this era, when there's so much video on these guys, and video analysis and the video equipment is so specialized, if, if, if they didn't have all their pitchers, their, their minor league pitching coordinator and, and Rick Knapp and all those guys breaking down video of Max Scherzer and really seeing if there's something they thought they, they, they could help them with. I mean, uh, we'll transition to the Rule 5 draft off of this, map because you're know, just talking to uh, the Yankees today. You know, Billy Epler said they had their hitting coordinator break down video of Jamie Hoffman. And see, okay, we think he has a foundation where he can hit, he can get it done in the major leagues, and that's one of the things that helped lead them to draft Jamie Hoffman number one overall. I think that kind of set the tone of the Rule 5 draft. Here's a guy you know, a 25-year-old, a guy who's already been to the big leagues, and that's who's getting uh, 1-1 in the Rule 5. This was a... Low upside, role filler, uh, uh Rule 5 draft, Matt. Not even anyone as remotely as interesting as Everett Cabrera last year. <laughs> and only three position players in the first round of the Rule 5 draft. Did anybody out of those 17 players picked in the Major League phase do anything for you? Anybody really uh, even uh, of modest interest to
1: you? Well, we, we have heard, um we did hear some rumblings about Ben Snyder. It sounds like he could be... A little more than a left on left guy.
0: Yeah, it's possible. It's definitely possible. A brother, his older brother, was a first round pick. Uh, he was a, decent, a reasonably high pick by the Giants, single digit draft pick, uh, but really didn't really find the strike zone consistently until he was moved to the bullpen uh, at Double A Connecticut. Uh, God rest its soul. No, no more Double A Connecticut. No more Norwich baseball.
1: Uh, John Rayner had that loud year. I mean, he was a four-year college guy in, in, in the Sally League and in the Greensboro Park. Right. So, uh, you know, that that offensive performance probably is not what to expect. But He did
0: jump that next year in 2008. That's when we started to think he was legit because he jumped from Greensboro to Carolina and had about an 850, 860 OPS, but then really collapsed uh, offensively in 2009 in New Orleans. I was a little surprised he went second overall, but just reading Neil Huntington's quotes, I mean, they... He is a fourth outfield profile and a platoon outfield profile. He he did still maintain some uh, success in his left-handed pitchers in 2009. So and and the guy can run. Uh, The question I have about him is the scouting reports on his defense in center field always have been a little shy. Mm -hmm. And if you're getting a fourth outfielder, you kind of want that guy to be able to play center. John Rainer sounds like he's always been average to below average despite his speed in center field.
1: Right. Uh, And well, as as we look further down the list. Uh, the Athletics took Bobby Casavola yeah. and uh, another uh, one of his teammates. Where is uh, Where is David Herndon?
0: He's toward the. Guys da- the the, Philly, the
1: Phillies grabbed David Herndon at twenty-two. Um, a pair of uh, pretty pretty high-velocity right-handed sinker ballers out of the Angels' Double-A bullpen. You know the numbers don't jump off the page at you, but when you look at the, at the ground ball rates, they really do.
0: Yeah, especially uh, Casavaugh with a four to one ground the air out ratio. And 93, 94 at times, commands an issue for him for sure. You know, the, the thing for me that the guys that stand out for me, the guys have a chance to maybe be big league starters. I mean, the Giants don't necessarily need big league starting pitching, but I guess there is a fifth starter role. And they did use a lot of different guys in that role. I mean, uh, Martinez got starts there. Uh, they did. They, they kind of auditioned some different people. I think Stephen Johnson has a shot. Uh, guys who saw him in the Eastern League late in the year after that George Sherrill trade thought that Stephen Johnson, you know. Two, four pitches for strikes. It was a back end of the rotation profile, but you know, guess what? The Giants are looking for a back end of the rotation <laughs>
1: starter, so uh, might be a fit there. He, he was piggybacked on that Josh Bell trade. Right? He was, yes,
0: that, that, that's, the, that's that same trade. And then the other, you know, the other guy that sounds interesting. Is a guy I didn't know much about coming in. Uh, oh, I was getting back. Well, let me finish the starter thought. Edgar Osuna is yeah. the other guy with a chance to be a starting pitcher, and it is the Royals' number one. Uh, number two, they took a brave, big shock. I mean, this is. The Royals love their ex Braves in the front office and the big leagues. Whatever, Kyle Davies come on down. You know, now it's Edgar Osuna come on down. And uh, the the velocity the velocity is below average on the fastball. He throws the breaking of ball for strike, and he's got plus command. So that's a that's a fifth starter left handed pitcher profile. So he fits that to a T as well. And then uh, the other guy who was intriguing was I didn't know much about Jorge Jimenez uh, drafted from the Red Sox. Um, I guess he's going to the the, Mar- the Marlins. Uh, from houston um but it sounds like he's got you know a big arm uh 70 or 80 arm and a left-handed hitter who can hit the power is a real issue there. It's a career like 420 slugging percentage which is clearly not ideal for uh you know for a corner bat but i think some people were surprised the red sox did not protect him considering that their issues at third base want to trade mike lowell and uh and he's a double a triple a third baseman who's had some success at upper upper levels so uh now, Matt, some of these trades get uh, – some of these Rule 5 guys are getting thrown into trades. Some of the other trades that we had, a kind of a flurry of action here late. Uh, you had the Kevin Millwood going to Baltimore uh, from the, the from the Rangers, and the Rangers free that money up and go after Rich Harden. Uh, maybe a couple other trades like that. Matt Lindstrom going from Florida to Houston. Any of those other smaller deals that uh, stood out to you? or you know, Are there any teams that, between the Rule 5 and trades, you really thought improved themselves here this week in Indianapolis?
1: Uh, it it appears that, that the Rays um are the benefit of the um of the Braves decision to offer Soriano arbitration because right. Rafael Soriano now heads to Tampa Bay in exchange for Jesse Chavez, whom they got from uh from Pittsburgh for, right. for Iwamura. So kind of the big circle there. You know, Soriano's proven himself to be a very effective late inning guy, um, you know, a perfect fit for for their bullpen as they try to sneak past the uh, Red Sox or Yankees one more time.
0: Yeah, I mean, a power right-handed arm. They seem like they were one short this year. Graham Balfour wasn't quite as good as he was in 2008. J.P. Howell was, you know, pretty solid, but he's not a textbook closer. And Rafael Soriano gives you another option, so you can uh, pick and choose if you're Joe Madden when you want to use Soriano, when you want to use J.P. Howell, and neither of those guys are, you know, uh, it doesn't seem like neither of those guys has the enough uh years of closing under their belt where they would be offended if the other ones are closing. So if you handle that situation correctly, I think that could be a, a nice uh, improvement for Tampa. I agree. And I like the Kelly Shopik uh, pickup for them. That's right, I mean, Shopik. He's, yeah. He's not tremendous, but I do think he has a chance to hit. I think he has a chance to defend. I think he should be a, a solid average receiver for them. We're really Diner Navarro. I think we've seen that 2008 was the outlier for Diner Navarro. Most of his big league career, he's been closer to 2009 than what he was in, uh, in 2008. I think Texas has improved. Uh, you know, I do. I like the addition of Kevin Millwood for Baltimore. Uh, we'll see how long he can ha- hold up. He's losing stuff gradually, and but I do think they needed a veteran. They do. I do think they needed an innings eater. Uh, Texas is paying part of the contract. Uh, they didn't give up much to get him. So to me, the Orioles have, they just have fallen apart so badly in the second half of seasons. They just need someone to go out there who knows what it means to be a big league starting pitcher. And, uh, you know, I think he has value beyond the numbers, but it's hard for that to be tangible. And, you know, Kevin Millwood's pitched a lot. He's pitched in a lot of different places. He's pitched in pennant races. He's pitched on bad teams and everything in between. And he's going to be on a bad team. But I do think he can mentor the Brian Mattis's and the Chris Tillmans and the Brad Burgessons and those guys. I think Baltimore had a need for that. And I'd much rather have Kevin Millwood for that role than, say, someone like LeVon Hernandez. So. (laughs) I like that move for Baltimore, even though it's a low impact move, and he really won't be there when it's time for them to to really contend. Anything else from you, Matt, or should we just go ahead and sign it? You you got a plane to catch, so I do. Yeah, I think our, we have one last piece of the puzzle to find from the winter meetings here. It's uh, we're going to track down someone with the Padres who can tell us a little bit more about this Australian player they drafted in the, in the minor league rule phase of the uh, rule of the Rule Five draft, but. That's the kind of crazy coverage you get from us at Baseball America. So, Matt, it was great having you at the winter meetings this year. Enjoyed uh, our uh, – I think I ate twice as much Asian food as I ever eat at a, uh, <laughs> at a winter meetings, and I also had more wine than I ever drink at a winter. My wine-to-beer ratio was much much better on the wine side than it usually is at a winter meeting, so that's, that's thanks to your arrival. So we appreciate everyone's interest in the Rule 5 draft and uh, our coverage and the blogs, and, of course, we'll see you next week as we're wrapping up the Prospect Handbook next week at Baseball America in the home office back in Durham. For Matt Eddie, I'm John Manuel. Until next time, thanks for the download. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time.